0: com thrive For 20% off your first order.
1: Hey there. Ever wonder what happens
0: to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Well, wonder no more? Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros, From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that
1: subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine.
2: Hi, I'm Shanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to
3: Muses. Enjoy the show. Hey, Lynx, and hello, everybody. Welcome to Muses, the podcast that talks about the inspiring and influential and legendary women in rock and roll history. Thank you guys so much
2: for being here with us. We have had quite an interesting week, haven't we, Shanti?
3: Yeah, it has been really interesting. It's been a whirlwind. It was a really emotional week as well uh you and i had felt some feelings that's for sure what we wanted to do was just to thank everybody who has been so supportive throughout this week and really throughout these four and a half almost five years of us doing this podcast uh we had asked people to Give us some positive reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Everywhere is fine. And you really did. And we knew that we had a really supportive community because we get to interact with you every day. We talk to you in DMs and on Instagram stories and on Twitter. And then just to see everybody, I guess, show their support collectively, it was almost like, whoa, you got to see it almost in numbers. So thank you for leaving us a positive review or just checking in on us and sending us a nice message. This podcast for us has always been about community over like audience and we're so happy to be connected with you every day. Thank you. Yeah, it's been really incredible
2: and it felt so nice because, you know, in covid times we can't, you know, get close with people right now and I swear every time we got a message, it I, I felt like I was getting a big hug. And it was just so heartwarming and emotional. And we really appreciate all of the support and please continue to subscribe, rate, review, like, share, write us, please. Uh, we we love all of it and it's very much appreciated.
3: That's right. Some other ways that you can support us are by subscribing to our Patreon. If you go there, you get a whole bunch of bonus content Oh, we have uh, just like a PayPal. If you wanted to make a one-time donation to Muses, then you just send uh, that to musespod at gmail.com. And so that's if you're not kind of ready to commit to giving a monthly $5 or $10 gift to us. If you wanted to make a one-time donation, we appreciate that too. And as always, just being supportive, sharing the podcast with a friend or leaving us a review is gorgeous.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys so much. I'm really excited about doing this episode. We talked to Rosalie Brooks, and that was incredible, all about her life and her experience with Jimi Hendrix. And so we thought we would continue on and do a part two, I guess, of Jimi and talk about Linda Keith and the movie Jimi All Is By My Side.
3: Yes. I'm really excited about this too, especially because... Later on this week, we're going to be interviewing the author of Our Jimmy. His name is Aidan Pruitt, and he's compiled an excellent book. I've got the copy in my hands all the way from Australia. He has compiled this excellent resource by interviewing people who were closest to Jimmy, including his brother, Leon, and Kathy Etchingham, who we've done an episode on and who we're going to talk about today. So we've got pretty much, it feels like, a whole month of celebrating Jimi Hendrix. I'm glad to do it.
2: Yes, we did this for Elvis. We're going to do it for Jimmy, And like you said, it's like it just made sense. And it's interesting because it kind of just happened that way that we came across these great Jimmy things all at once. So it's another sort of sent from the gods, mm-hmm. the rock gods. Unfortunately, Linda Keith has not written a memoir yet uh, if ever. Um, but she had connections with so many other people that did. So I'm going to give you a tighter Linda Keith story, but a, a fun one all the same. And there's plenty of quotes in here and everything. So Linda was born in 1946 in West Hampstead in London. Her father was a man named Alan Keith. He was a host of a BBC radio show called Your 100 Best Tunes, and he was the host for this thing for 44 years. Nice gig. Right? I think he ended up getting an OBE and was the longest running BBC host ever, like radio host ever so far.
3: Right on. So Linda had some, I guess, connections to showbiz already in a way.
2: Yes, and definitely a musical connection there as well. Linda, actually, as a teenager, began modeling because she was working at the Vogue house in the mailroom. And I think she was delivering mail and someone saw how gorgeous she was and was like, you need to be in Vogue, not just, you know, working in the office. (laughs) That happened pretty quickly. And she was known for working with really amazing photographers, such as David Bailey. Linda was quite a social butterfly. She always had her finger on the pulse. She kind of reminds me of Tara Brown in that way, where she knew everyone, she hung out at all the cool places. She was just like a major fixture in like the swinging London scene at the time.
3: So almost like a socialite before that word became popularized. For sure. Yeah. I'll post some
2: photos, of course, on Instagram, but there's plenty of others for those who want to search her. She did photo shoots with other big name models and names that we've mentioned before on the podcast, such as Suki Poitier and Chrissy Shrimpton. Okay. Linda, when she was 17, began dating Keith Richards. 17? 17. I think he was maybe like two years older. They They were both kids at the time.
3: Well, that's... The age I had my first boyfriend. It wasn't Keith Richards, but <laughs>
2: yeah, we kind of all get Keith. The interesting thing is they met at a party for Andrew Luke Oldman. He was the Rolling Stones manager. Linda's best friend. Her name was Sheila. She was going to soon marry Andrew, but this was also the same party that Mick met Marianne Faithful.
3: Nice. Yeah something was in the air.
2: Exactly. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to quote Keith here on how this interaction went down. Linda Keith was the one that first broke my heart. It was my fault. I asked for it and I got it. The first look was the deepest, watching her with all her tricks and movements, fearfully from across the room and feeling that hit of longing and thinking she was out of my league. When I first met Linda, I was just astounded that she wanted to come along with me. She bedded me. I didn't bed her. She made a straight line for me, and I was totally, absolutely in love. We fell for each other, and the other surprise was that I was Linda's first love, the first boy she ever fell for. She had been actively pursued by all kinds of people who she rejected. To this day, I don't understand it. Wow. Isn't that cute? Yeah, it is despite both of them having a working career that was very active, they did manage to have this beautiful love affair. In his book, he really describes his time with her as living almost like a married couple.
3: Yeah, I I get that too. Because even though you're so young, when you're really experiencing that first love, you can really default to almost that closeness of marriage because man maybe it's because you're both feeling these things for the first time and it's such pure love, but alas, uh, you know, 17 year old and 19 year old, very rarely, those kinds of relationships can last forever because they're just too young. They need to go have more experiences, but that's beautiful.
2: Yeah. Keith says that Linda was wildly in love with music, particularly blues and jazz. He said that she was such a blues purist actually, that she was really not a fan of the Rolling Stones at all. And she would like refuse to play Keith's music, which I thought was really funny.
3: I understand that now more than ever.
2: Oh, for sure. For sure. I think it's just cute that like it's her boyfriend. She's like, nope, you're not a purist. Yeah, for sure. Keith bought Linda a Mark II Jaguar when they were dating as well, which is very impressive. I'd say so. Over time, of course, the stones began to get bigger and bigger, and they were on the road more. So a sort of natural, slow separation, I suppose, began to happen. But they were together for three years. Keith was actually still dating Linda while he was on tour with the Ronettes, and he had his little um, affair with Ronnie.
3: I've got Ronnie's book right here in front of me. Ronnie's the
2: best. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're going to have an affair, I guess, you know... Ronnie. Yeah. Okay. I can can see. I can see why. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Keith says that in this period, Linda was really beginning to experiment with hard drugs, which ironically at the time he very much disapproved of. He was still just like a weed smoker, basically. So that was kind of taking over Linda's life and Keith was kind of doing his own thing. And so they were kind of splitting apart. In the spring of 1966, Linda joined Keith on their American tour. This would kind of be the fatal blow in the relationship because Linda decided one night to go to the Cheetah Club in New York where Jimi Hendrix happened to be playing. Was it meant to be? I think it was meant to be for sure. I found this interview with Linda for a Hendrix documentary called Hear My Train a Comin', and she said... I couldn't believe nobody had picked up on Jimmy because he'd obviously been around. He was astonishing. The moods he could bring to music, his charisma, his skill, and the stage presence. Yet nobody was leaping about with excitement.
3: I couldn't believe it. She knows.
2: Exactly. She knew talent when she saw it. And I thought I'd let Keith explain what happened next. So this is Keith speaking. I'm not going to do the accent. Don't worry. (laughs) Linda met Jimi Hendrix, saw him play, and adopted his career as her mission. She tried to get him a recording contract with Andrew Oldman. During a long evening with Jimi, she gave him a Fender Stratocaster of mine that was in my hotel room. And then she also picked up a copy of the demo I had of Tim Rose singing a song called Hey Joe. She took them around to where Jimi was and played it to him. This is rock and roll history.
3: Can you imagine
2: losing your girl, your Fender, and your Hey Joe demo all in one go?
3: No, I can't imagine that. Uh,
2: Poor Keith.
3: I don't don't feel too bad for him.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Andrew Oldham passed on Jimmy, which I'm sure must be a regret of his. But you know, the connection with the Rolling Stones and everything, maybe it was just like too awkward or something. Linda was in phased though. She went after other execs. She went to her friend Chaz Chandler from the Animals. And when he came to see Jimmy play, which was at Cafe Wa in Greenwich Village, I'm going to take you there, Shanti, as soon as COVID is over. I can't wait. Thankfully, Chaz saw what Linda did in Jimmy. And that is really what began Jimmy's journey over to the UK. So this is where the film that we watched recently, Jimmy All Is By My Side, sort of begins, right? Yep. So first, I just want to thank my friend Keenan for helping us find this film. Thank you so much, because without your help, we couldn't be discussing it right now. So thank you.
3: Thank you. We're going to take a quick pause in our show to tell you about Usual Wines. Usual wines are wines for the modern drinker, a.k.a. me, and maybe you too. Each bottle is 6.3 ounces, which is a heavy pour or about a glass and a half of wine. So no more pouring wine down the sink when you don't want to finish the bottle. You know what else I've done? Don't tell anyone. I've poured wine from my glass back into the bottle when I couldn't finish it. But not anymore. Because of the single-serve format and bottle design, Usual is always fresh, no more flat, bubbly, or stale rosé usual has a red blend a rose and a sparkling white wine called Brut. the wines are low carb and have zero grams of sugar my favorite was the white which was surprising because i'm usually a red drinker i could taste the elderflower and it really smelled lovely like bergamot it's refreshing and not too sweet not too sour or too crisp and there's a really good balance I was thinking maybe the lemon would make it too citrusy, but I think it really evens it out and actually gives it a really smooth taste. I would definitely order these again, and I hope you will too. Usual wines are made from world-class AVAs, American multicultural area in California, like Napa, Sonoma, and Santa Barbara, and are made with minimal intervention, zero sugar, and zero additives. We have a special holiday product coming early November, usual reserve it's an ultra premium limited edition mount Viter cabernet sauvignon introducing usual reserve this is our most special wine yet just in time for the holidays hailing from one of the most celebrated plots of land in all of napa this cabernet sauvignon is concentrated and rich with just enough grip gift it to someone special or keep it all for yourself the holidays as usual Go check out their website at www.usualwines.com and use our discount code MUSES for $8 off your first order and try your first glass on us. That's www.usualwines.com and use our discount code MUSES, M-U-S-E-S, for $8 off your first order. Enjoy. Do you want to start? Yeah. All right. So I'll just start off by saying that I did enjoy this movie. I know that we've been really touch and go with some of these biopics. Like we weren't huge fans of Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, Rocketman was okay. But as far as music biopics go, I enjoyed this one. I thought that Andre 3000 as Jimmy was great. Mm -hmm. I, for the most part, liked the depictions of the women. Uh, I know Kathy does have something to say about her portrayal in in this yeah um i thought to straight off the bat it was interesting maybe interesting isn't the word i think i laughed even uh when the movie starts on linda it's like almost a shot of her mm-hmm. in that club the, the cheetah club that you mentioned and somebody comes up to her this kind of random guy and says can i have your autograph and she's like well And he's like, Aren't you Keith Richards' girlfriend? And she says, Well, wouldn't you rather have a kiss? Mm -hmm. And he says, Why? And she said, Well, the closest thing you'll ever get to sucking Keith Richards' dick. (laughs) So, (laughs) whether or not that was a real interaction, it does say a lot about, I guess, fandom in a way. Yeah. Um, Things that we've kind of mentioned before about if. Certain people, I guess, could date or sleep with rock stars. They could. So instead they, you know, and and on and on. Like we've we've kind of discussed that before. So not only that, but it kind of shows Linda as a bit of a badass, I guess, in a way. For sure. Yeah.
2: And she definitely sounds like she from Keith, the way Keith talks about her and everything, that she was like her own strong, independent woman. I feel like the movie got more of Linda's story correct than they did of Kathy's. Something that we should mention as well is that, and they pu- they do put this in the film, um, I think there's a short scene where after Linda kind of got with Jimmy, Keith went back to the UK and he went to Linda's father to tell him about her using drugs because he says that he was very worried about her and her dad did end up coming to New York, bringing her back. She became a ward of the court and that really kind of ended her and Keith's relationship. He, in his book, it says she felt this was a great betrayal on my part and we didn't speak or see each other until many years later.
3: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I there was a scene in the movie where I, it depicts her giving Jimmy LSD, you know, drugs for the first time. And I thought, well, is this real or is this Hollywood trying to make her into a villain or kind of cast blame? But it sounds like this was a little bit more accurate. But other than that, yeah. with her you know, critiquing Jimmy's jacket to his hair, to the club that he played in. Does he really want to play? She really did come off as almost a perfect muse.
2: And that is all true. She did help him. There's a funny story where she asked Jimmy, "Did you do you want to do acid? And he said, no, but I'd really like to try LSD. <laughs> <laughs> and she definitely helped him with his style. And I think at the time he was perming his hair and she made him stop doing that. And she definitely knew what was going to bring him to the next level and helped him with that. So yeah, she was a perfect muse. Absolutely. Correct.
3: Another thing I liked about the movie was the soundtrack. There was lots of Dylan. Did you notice that? Oh, yes.
2: And that's true too. Hendrix was a big, big Dylan fan. I mean, everyone was, right? (laughs)
3: Yeah, it's just a good period piece. I liked the outfits. I liked the hairdos. I liked the scenes where they're shopping and thrift stores and Jimmy gets the jacket. I liked it.
2: Yeah. Let's talk about the scene where Kathy and Linda meet.
3: Great. So I'm going to cross-reference this scene in the movie to perhaps something that you've already said before when you talked about Kathy Etchingham and this book, Our Jimmy by Aidan Pruitt, because in his discussion with Kathy, he does discuss this first encounter. So yeah, go ahead. You can explain. Um... Jimmy,
2: I think it was in within the first day or two of him arriving in the UK is going to one of the popular clubs. Linda's there to support him. And Kathy, who I think sort of knew Chaz or someone else in in that group, came as well and met Jimmy for the first time, and they really hit it off. And, of course, that must have been a little bit of a shock and a hurt to Linda, who was surprised that Jimmy so quickly had found this other lovely English bird to... um, (laughs) you know, set his sights on. And in the movie, they have it where Linda's seat is taken by Kathy when she gets up and they have a bit of a argument over who gets to sit next to Jimmy, basically.
3: Right. And Kathy herself said in this interview with Aiden that Jimmy invited her to sit beside him kind of like hey you come over here sit here and then by the time melinda got back she was just trying to get louder and louder almost like speaking over the table to jimmy to kind of make a point like this was my conversation and then by you know, the end, Linda was breaking bottles and they had to get Jimmy out of there because he didn't have a visa and if the cops were called, they could get into a good amount of trouble. So this did seem quite accurate. In the movie, they really show almost the class divide between Linda and Kathy because Linda's very posh and Kathy is very whatever the opposite of posh is in England. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah. And Kathy has been very outspoken about the film and how when she watches it, she says that she sees nothing of her reality of the situation. And she even criticizes like the way that they depict Jimmy, this monotone kind of guy who may not... Be as intelligent as he actually was or come off as intelligent. Like Kathy says that he was very sharp and that that just isn't depicted in this.
3: Yeah, and I picked up on that sense when in the movie, Jimmy meets this kind of third woman that we don't really get to know that well. But it's just kind of seen that like, yes, we know Jimmy's a ladies man and this woman comes in off the street. She just sees him in a bookstore. She comes in, they make conversation and then she brings him to this man. And what they end up doing is they end up having a conversation between uh, this guy named Michael X, who, as far as we know, isn't. A real person this woman isn't a real person this was for the movie's sake Mm -hmm. so what they were doing was they were talking and kind of trying to introduce jimmy to black england and how that's very different from white england so they were talking about race issues and class systems and then the Jimmy character was portrayed as going like, I don't see black and white and everybody is every like you know, mm-hmm. and they're saying, no, that's not true. you really do need to see it yeah. you know when a black man plays this kind of music, he's called wild animalistic, but do you think that when Clapton plays this kind of music, he's called that. so apparently this interaction never happened and if it is, I think what Kathy's trying to say is that Jimmy would have been more on the side of yes, you're right and on the pulse. Yeah, not so kind of nonchalant uh, about it, Yeah, I like he did
2: have strong opinions and he was an intelligent man and he, he didn't need things kind of explained to him. He was his own man. And yeah, I think that's one of her biggest issues with it as well. And that they have a strong physical relationship in this. Like sometimes they're kind of fighting physically and Kathy says that
3: none of that happened. So to put that in... In the movie, Jimmy hurts her badly. Yeah, yeah. Really badly. And that was one thing that I was like, wait, I don't remember hearing about that. Yeah.
0: You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals?
3: that And I mean, just to have that in for like a dramatic effect, it's like, what can we really do to make the story anymore is like, well, let's make them abusive. It's just it's so wrong in so many ways. If the people that were there are saying, no, that like never happened. There's just yeah. more. It's just lazy filmmaking. Exactly. Yeah. He's fascinating enough as
2: he is. People watch these films a lot of the time thinking that they're getting the true story. And that in cases like this, it's very alarming to think that you're actually portraying someone as being violent or, you know, an abuser. That's unacceptable, really.
3: Yeah. What did you think about the depiction of the other sort of rock stars in the movie, like Eric Clapton and Noel Redding?
2: I really liked Noel. I think they did a good job with him. How about you?
3: Yeah, I thought Noel was pretty cute. I liked when they were... Trying to get him into the band, and he and they were saying, "Well, we can't pay you much, but you might as well hang with us and be broke and cool." <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought that they did well casting Eric Clapton. He came off as an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> what What more could you want? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I thought there was a bit of a strange bit where they were at a party and they had people cast as George Harrison. And did they do Paul McCartney? And that was Probably. like, oh, that felt a little bit necessary that they took actors that didn't really look anything like them. And just to to show that they were at that party, there could like, you know, you had mentioned, well, they could have just put that almost in the script is like, oh, Paul McCartney just walked in.
2: Yeah. If you have to say something like, oh, are we meeting Mick or, or are we meeting Paul and George later or something? You know, like it just seemed like filler, I guess, you know, unnecessary, but yeah. yeah, I agree with that. I have a little more about Linda that I can share. First of all, after Linda came home and Keith's back there as well, they've split up. Keith really had a pretty hard time with it. He mentions, crying in the streets he mentions that he stalked her a few times but then he like wouldn't know what to say he says that's the first time i felt the deep cut the thing about being a songwriter is even if you've been fucked over you can find consolation in writing about it and pouring it out basically linda is ruby tuesday
3: well there you go shall we play a bit of ruby tuesday oh i would love to hear some ruby tuesday here it is Question for you, Lynx. One of my questions is that I noticed that besides the, I guess, somewhat innocent LSD taking, there wasn't too much depiction or talk or reference to Jimmy and drug use. That's true.
2: But this ends right before Monterey, right? Right. So I think. I, I don't really know Jimmy's timeline with his drug use. So I'm assuming maybe that was more after Monterey. Like not, this is, was his progression into it, you know, LSD and all that first.
3: Okay. So, and I suppose then Monterey would have put him on a whole new trajectory, you know, his rocket ship to the moon. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then so maybe from there, he started to get more involved if he hadn't been already okay i just wanted to yeah i guess yeah because i think they met in like
2: 1966 so jimmy still had a couple years
3: i watched the live stream last week of kiss the sky the re-experience the jimi hendrix tribute band yes i did as well it was good yeah it was really good and tj watched it with me as well and he said You know, we just watched them perform for essentially an hour and a half. And I knew almost every song and the songs that I didn't know, I thought were really great. So for being such a young artist, he, you know, Jimi Hendrix really did have quite the catalog already. He really did have some amazing music. And I know for Jimi's birthday, B.B. Buell had made a post saying that, When she was 14 years old, his album changed her life.
2: I can only imagine, like, for us, we've heard so many, like, really cool guitarists. But when you really think about it, he was the first one that was bringing, like, sexuality to the guitar. And what what a thing to witness, like, literally setting it on fire, like, playing with his teeth. I can't even imagine what that must have felt like. Like being a teenager and seeing something like that for the first time—it's like Elvis, right? It is just earth-shattering,
3: right? Exactly. And then, yeah, because you've got the guys like the Rolling Stones, who are kind of kind of going back to Linda's love for blues and kind of appropriating that kind of music. Then to see Jimmy just as representation for somebody playing kind of rock music was a whole new other level of awesome, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's one thing to know people like Bibi or my parents who got to experience these kind of albums and this kind of music in real time. And that's a whole other thing to be the age that we are and already have all of this, you know, these – Albums upon along. albums, and n- not only just of Jimi Hendrix, but so many of the these artists, and being like, "Well, where did you start with that? And where did you start with that album?" And sometimes I feel like, "Wow, I can't believe I'm only just getting around to this, or to really enjoying this now." But I mean, I guess it's never too late, and this kind of music is timeless, and that's why it's so good that <laughs> people Absolutely. can still discover it and rediscover it. Yeah. Decades later.
2: And reinterpret it and bring it back around and make it fresh again. And yeah, it's just a beautiful cycle and music is just such a fantastic thing. Before we wrap up here, I wanted to mention that Linda says that her and Jimmy did, because of Kathy and everything, I assume, sort of drift apart, but... There is a quote where she says, I was still the one he came to when the chips were down. Before his death, he made contact again. He said that he'd written a new track, See Me, Linda, Hear Me, I'm Playing the Blues. I always loved his blues playing, but then most of his songs did sound like the blues. So there's this one instrumental song that Jimmy recorded before his death, and you can find it online. It it was named Send My Love to Linda.
3: Nice. Well, that's a great way to wrap up. I love that.
2: Yeah. And if anyone's curious, Linda ended up getting married in 1983 to a musician and a producer named John Porter. He's worked with really incredible people like Brian Ferry, Billy Bragg, B.B. King, Buddy Guy, many more. And they're still married. They had some kids. And according to Keith
3: Richards, they live in New Orleans now. Oh, interesting. You know i she's the kind of person that I definitely w- would be surprised if you said, and she married a uh, you know general contractor or an electrician, <laughs> not I mean, we love our general contractors and electricians. We really, really do, but she just doesn't seem like the kind of person,
2: yeah, she's still probably very enriched in music culture and all that and Sounds like she must be having a nice time. So good for uh, Linda. And if anyone wants to learn more about Kathy Etchingham, as Shanti mentioned, we already have an episode on her, episode 51, if you want to scroll back. And you can learn all about Kathy and her relationship with Jimmy, which went on for many years as well while he was living in England. So plenty more Jimmy there and plenty more Jimmy
3: next time, too that's right we're gonna have that super i think it's gonna be fun we're recording it on a friday night because aiden is in australia so we get a nice australian accent in here so i think it's gonna be a fun one yeah i'm excited for it yeah can't wait well thanks for that Lynx. i really enjoyed listening to that and watching this movie and it's definitely um, a film that i would watch again and i'd like watch it with my dad
2: yeah, watch it, enjoy it, but remember it's you're not seeing the truth. It's an imagined depiction of this time in his life, right?
3: For sure, it'd be amazing if Linda came out with ah, uh, I would love it with an autobiography. And I should reread Keith's book too.
2: Oh, it's great. I pick it up all the time because of what we do, right? Like at any episode, I look up if he's talked about someone, and just reading pages here and there is always fun to just pick it up and like read a paragraph what a guy
3: awesome (laughs) all right oh hey guess what what i started watching the sopranos for the very first time oh my goodness i'm excited for you I'm having so much fun with it. And also seeing Steven Van Zandt. <laughs> yeah. It's making my life right now because I think it's so funny that we got to go to his show. and We got to meet him and have such a nice conversation with him. And then I get to like go back 20 years and see him in this absolutely hilarious role. And he's just like, oh, he kind of stays like this the whole time, too. Like, he's that character. And I'm just absolutely loving it. It's great. And wait until Maureen shows up. <gasps> I can't <laughs> wait until Maureen shows up. We definitely have to talk about that when we get
2: there. So We will, for sure. And once again, thank you guys so much. You guys are amazing. We love you. And we'll see you next time. See you next
1: time. Muses is produced by Chantal Lemieux and Lynx O'Leary and is part of the Pantheon family of podcasts. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at PantheonPodcasts.com All songs can be found wherever you get your music. Please download and purchase these great and important tracks. Come find us at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods or see us at r Archaeology on Instagram. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet and on this podcast we ask what-if questions about the future. Like... What if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on hypothetical new episodes on tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps just search hypothetical that's h-y-p-e-r-t-h-e-t-i-c-a-l